Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 2 Kings, chapter 2, and your bulletin says verses 1 and 2 and 6 through 14, but I'm reading it all, 1 through 14, on purpose this time, not like last week. <laughs> now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me now to Jericho. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has now sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance away from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to one side and the other until the two of them crossed over on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me and I'm being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Then he picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to one side and the other, and Elisha went across. These are our sacred stories. Last Sunday's lection was the story of Elijah, driven by fear and despair, fleeing for his life, running into the wilderness, and there, sitting underneath a solitary broom tree and asking God to die. He was done in body and in spirit, but God did not do as he asked and instead sent an angel with food and water. Elijah ate and drank and napped, ate some more, and then he was able to go to the mountain of God. As I noted last week, we should never underestimate the power of a nap and a snack. Once Elijah arrived at the mountain of God, he encountered a great wind, but God was not in the wind, and then an earthquake, 
and then a fire, but God was not in the earthquake or the fire. Elijah encountered God in silence in a still, small voice. God told Elijah to anoint two new rulers and to find and anoint Elijah, who would become a partner and then a successor. And all of that just gets you caught up to today. So math's a little tricky in the Bible, but it's been something like six years since Elijah left the mountain. Something like six years since Elisha began to share his ministry. And now, as you heard this morning, now it's time for Elijah to rest and for Elisha to take over the work. As readers, we know from the onset that Elijah is about to be taken to heaven in a whirlwind. We are prepared. We're arguably handling the transition better than either Eli. Elijah keeps trying to leave Elisha early, and Elisha is having none of it. He's staying by Elijah's side until the very end. First on the journey from Bethel to Gilgal, Elijah says, stay here. But in a line very reminiscent of Ruth to Naomi, Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they both go to Bethel. And once in Bethel, Elijah tries again. Stay here, Elisha, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elisha says, I will not leave you. And so off to Jericho they go. And we repeat this process again. Elijah saying, stay here. I have to go now to the Jordan. And Elisha saying, I will not leave you. And so they go on. And at the Jordan, by this point joined by 50 additional prophets, Elijah, in a move clearly inspired by Moses, rolls up his mantle and strikes the water. The waters part and they cross on dry land. Once they're across, Elijah seems to realize that Elisha will not give up, that he's staying with his mentor no matter what the future holds. And so Elijah asks, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elijah answers, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Elisha is asking to be treated like Elijah's child, the principal heir. Elijah gives a non-committal response to Elijah's request, and the two men continue walking and talking. And suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses appear, and the two men are separated, never to be reunited. Elijah ascends in a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha cries out and grasps his clothing and tears it in two in his grief. And then Elijah looks around, and Elijah's mantle has fallen from his body. And so Elisha picks it up and strikes water with it, and the water parts, and Elijah goes back to the other side. If you're wondering if he got that blessing he wanted, the inheritance, the very next verse says, when the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So 
So Elisha has the inheritance he asked for, but he doesn't have his mentor any longer. Not physically present, anyway. Elisha takes up Elijah's mantle and almost immediately performs a miracle that Elijah has just done, parting the waters. Elijah mimics Elijah, and Elijah mimics Moses. Have you ever taken up the mantle of someone else? Taken on work that you did not begin? Have you ever had a mentor, been a mentor? She did it for the first time a few weeks into school. We were reading Arthur Miller's The Crucible and Miss Inez was late. We were, as seniors are wont to do, checking our clocks, no phones back then, just watches and graphing calculators that in the hands of nerds like my classmates enabled a game of Pong. Finally, the door opened and in walked Mrs. Inez and a black vampire cape with blood dripping down the side of her mouth and fangs. She went to the chalkboard and announced, the time has come for bloody grammar. And then she went through how to properly use a semicolon. It was brilliant. There were many other bloody grammar lessons throughout the year and many more books and plays and poems. Mrs. Inez somehow made everything interesting. Even memorizing prologues like one that opera with the Shura Solta, the Drolt of March of Paris to the Rota. Come on, you probably can do it too. Mrs. Inez didn't just help us read the words, she taught us about the time period, both of the author and the setting. She helped us to see the metaphors and the meanings. She pushed us in our own writing, using peer editing as a way to help us teach and learn from each other. One day after class, she handed me a flyer. It was for a literary magazine, specifically looking for student writers for their upcoming publication. She suggested that an essay that I had recently written for her class would be an excellent submission. She asked if I wanted help getting it ready. I took her up on my offer and we sent my essay in. It was published, my first ever published piece of writing. I'm not sure who was more excited. I never considered myself to be a good writer before Mrs. Inez. I never considered English literature to be my favorite subject before her either. I finished my senior year with a love of literature and writing that led to a major in literature in college. I even took some education classes dreaming of how I might pick up the mantle of bloody grammar. I found though that the vampire cape was not mine to wear. I tried to pick it up, but it never fit just right. Sometimes the work left behind is ours to do. Sometimes it's us to, up to us to keep going. Sometimes we pass it on to someone else. Wherever we are in the chain, we're not alone. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Elisha learns from Ruth. Elisha learns from Elijah. Elijah learns from stories of Moses. Inspiration is important, so is innovation. 
Perhaps you'll remember a few weeks ago when we read the story of Elijah starving then, coming to Zarephath and encountering a widow and her son, a widow that Elijah expected to feed him. The widow and her son were also starving, but somehow when she began to cook, her jar of oil and her container of meal did not run out. If we were to keep reading after the passage we just read, we'd come to chapter 4 in 2 Kings where Elisha encounters a widow who has no money. She has two sons and her debt is so great that the creditors are coming to take her sons as servants to pay the debt. This act would leave her completely destitute. She begs Elisha for help. He asks her what she has, nothing. Well, she has one jar of oil. And then Elijah draws on the experiences of Elijah, but does things his own way. Go and borrow empty jars from your neighbors, he says. And she does. And the widow and her sons gather jar after jar, and at Elisha's insistence, they fill them. And one after the other, the jars are filled, and the oil does not run out until every jar is full. Scripture says, then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt, and the rest you and your sons can live on. Elijah picks up the mantle of Elijah, but he doesn't become Elijah. He stays true to himself. He does God's work of justice in his way, with his skills and his knowledge and his imagination. How many of us have tried to be someone we're not? Tried to take on the work of peace and love and justice and the exact model of a teacher or a mentor? I don't think that's what we're asked to do. We've spent a lot of time and energy and prayer in high school and college and divinity school trying to figure out what work was mine to do in the world. Given my experiences in church, my language around this search was woven with words of calling. I finally found comforts in the words of Frederick Buechner, who wrote a lot about the call of God. In one part of his book, Wishful Thinking, Buechner offers advice on discerning the call. He wrote, By and large, a good rule for finding out is this. The kind of work God usually calls you to do is the kind of work that A, you need most to do, and B, that the world needs most to have done. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. My comfort came in the thought that my work God's work that I would be part of need not make me miserable. That my deep gladness and the world's deep hunger would coexist and work. My work, God's work. The work that Mrs. Inez did was good work and needed, but it wasn't my work took the inspiration and the experiences she graciously passed on to me, and I made them my own. But it can't stop there, can it? 
Is there someone in your life that you're mentoring? Is there someone you're inviting to join you in the work that you're doing? Now be careful, because once you ask them to join you, they might, like Elisha, refuse to ever leave. But it's a risk we must take. Seems to me that Star Wars got this part wrong. Always, too, there are a master and an apprentice. Nope. Always a community there is, full of people teaching and growing and learning together. So look around. Is there someone doing justice work, self-care, parenting, aging, peace, love, generosity, in a way that you want to learn more about? Ask to join them. Ask them to take you along on the next march, the next meal for a hungry family. When you see people who are clearly doing the work to be anti-racist, ask them what they're doing, ask them what they're reading, ask them what they're working on. Let them be your Ruth, your Elijah, your Elisha, your Moses, your Mrs. Inez. Those who seem to have figured out environmental justice more than the rest of us, let's find out what they're doing. What are they buying and not buying? Those working for voting access and reproductive justice and LGBTQAI plus rights. Look around. There's a wealth of mantles right here in our community. Let's see what we can emulate like Elisha does Ruth, like Elijah does Moses. Is someone getting enough sleep? Let's ask them how. <laughs> Who seems to have hope in these days? How are they doing it? Teach us. And y'all, let's be ready when we're asked to share. Because each of us has something we figured out more than somebody else. There are mantles we can pick up and mantles we can pass down and we do it in community, together, not alone. Together, learning from each other and adapting what we learn in our own unique ways and styles. Together, we don't give up. Together, we keep going. Together, real, lasting change is possible. My dear friends, the world's deep hunger is too great for us to give up. And we can take comfort. God is not asking us to be miserable. God is asking us to take up the mantles that are ours and to carry and pass on the ones we need to put down. We can even carry some mantles together. We don't face these days alone. We can teach and learn and grow together as a community. Let's refuse to leave each other. Let's stick together, picking up mantles and sharing them, doing the work of love and justice. Thank mm -hmm.
comments. 